Welcome to Live at Night. I'm your host, Smash Africa for the Babies. Culture can be such an important part of our lives. In fact, it is an important part of our lives. And as social beings, um, when you think about it, uh, how we communicate, um, how we dress and express ourselves is a big part. So it makes sense that many of us uh, are allowed to be emotional when we feel like, to a certain degree, you took a part of our culture and touched our cultural studio somehow and you can't be judgy if those are the terms i can speak to cultural appropriation is often a trigger and has seen the rise of many debates over the last few years and this is a topic that we can never get enough of revisiting and i'm joined in studio by jamie mighty commentator and independent analyst as well as latuma gokolo um fashion designer and founder of uh, Matosa. Gents, thank you so much for your time. Welcome to Live at Night. How are you this evening, Mighty Jamie? I'm very well and uh, good evening to the listeners and I guess good day to anyone listening to the podcast. A big shout out to Laduma for allowing us to have this chat with him. Gunjan Putwam, how are you doing this evening? I know, we're live, man. We're doing, we're doing God's work. That's it. <laughs> That's all that matters. All right, Bafetu, um, let me start with you, Jamie. How would you define cultural appropriation? Well, I would define cultural appropriation by looking at it at two levels. Number one, the intention, and number two, whether or not there was any exploitation. So sometimes the intention of use of culture by people outside of the culture can be to pay homage, to show respect, uh, to participate in that culture because there is a a respect or even a self-identification with that particular culture. But that is different from when people are using it to ridicule, when people are using it to undermine, when people are using it to spread stereotypes. But then I would also look at exploitation and who gets to benefit from that particular culture. So if you look, for example, at what happened with the kente fabric um, in Ghana, what China did was to produce cheap knockoffs and resell them to Africa and the rest of the world benefiting from generations of intellectual property development, craftsmanship, and then excluding the people of Ghana from that particular windfall. If you look at what Disney did with Hakuna Matata, they actually tried to copyright a phrase in Swahili to exclusively benefit from its usage, which is very weird. It would be like someone um, copywriting Shosho or Etantwana or something to that effect locally And what that does is Disney is taking the culture of anybody who speaks Swahili, using it for profit in the Lion King kingdom and excluding people who crafted that phrase, who made it a a phrase that was so globally popular that the people of Disney even found out about it. So when you have that exploitation and that exclusion, I think then you are now in the realm of appropriation. Mm, 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 mm. Our trending chats, heated cultural appropriation versus cultural appreciation. Latum, um, how would you define cultural appreciation? Because when I look at Makosa, to me, that is what cultural appreciation is. Um, I think in opposite of what Tupoti just explained, for me, uh, the, the true approach of cultural appreci- appreciation is basically taking 
intellectual property and taking from the culture with permission granted and going beyond that and also involving the people that you are taking from in the value chain of producing that content so when i say value chain i mean that the photography campaign in the production of the products in the sourcing of the raw material in the publishing of the content um in using platforms that comes from that culture as well you know because in a lot of cases where you see companies appropriating or misappropriating from 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 culture or or certain cult they would only get that group only involved in the front end of the campaign but not in the back end where most of the revenue is is made as uh, so for me the appreciation is involving the culture in almost all of the majority of the aspects of the value chain mm. now <clears throat> when we when we speak about the value chain and involving others and one from the outside looking in could say hey but that's a process man now I must go down there and ask the leadership or if it's traditional leaders or if it's like the people who live there and now when you you know you spoke about involving like the 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 talent and the people who are part of the culture don't you think people generally don't go the extra mile because of the amount of workload hence appropriation is like cutting corners and why it's so easy to get away with laduma um i think for me it is a matter of not willing to share resources you know because uh in the design and in a commercial business there is money there is a lot of money to be made and therefore one chooses who gets the bag um in terms of work work can never justify why wouldn't one wouldn't actually opt for going the legit direction mm. uh in my case you know uh for any campaigns uh that we thought of you know we always think of the best approach that would do the greatest justice to it you know uh we don't care even if it's going to cost us much effort or whatever we go the extra mile you know because um people see through the bs and uh we try by all means you know to to make every action that we do memorable mm, mm, mm. Jamie I want to bring you in in terms of uh if you know any where the history of these concepts started is it like since men was around or was it the the moment they came down to Africa and uh, we saw colonization and uh, we also saw people being shipped on on ships and and dropped off in Europe or the Americas if you like from Africa where this appropriation um lifestyle or mindset started being something acceptable in our society and can we um 
undo the the harm that history has done well you know i think the appropriation of african artifacts cultures and uh, valuable materials has been happening since the scramble for africa at the berlin conference where africa was partitioned and allocated to colonial powers in europe mm-hmm. i think that was really where you can say the free for all started because the resources of africa we all know have been appropriated but so have the artifacts the historic artifacts are all over european museums uh, because they were taken without any consent without any um you know payment given to the africans and then if you observe you'll find that across the board african uh, cuisine african norms african customs have been appropriated and i think because of the power imbalance we have been living for hundreds of years without uh, problematizing this behavior without confronting it head on so with the rise of um social justice awareness and social justice movements we have now then seen people then challenging power to say how does it happen that you can take a japanese cartoon rename it and then call it lion king and make all of the money from it by the way that's the history of the lion king it's not a original disney production it's a rip off of uh, i think it was called simba the white lion or something to that effect a japanese cartoon just as an interesting side note it, it has not only been done to africans it has been done to other communities which did not have power in the centers of cultural celebration who did not have ownership of the large platforms such as disney such as uh, hollywood so i think that what we are seeing now is a course correction where people are becoming aware that it's no longer going to be possible for you to take african art music uh, lingo um, fashion trends without doing exactly what laduma has spoken about which is uh, paying respect getting consent involving people in the value chain all the way from the marketing process to the sales process i think that uh, matosa as a brand is an excellent example of how you um, involve communities in the celebration of a brand and how you do so respectfully of the culture and of the community where that culture comes from i do think that um Africans also need to start thinking about how to fight this at a legislative level because there is still a continuation of intellectual property uh, ripping off which is happening people are burning CDs of African culture if i were to use a old euphemism uh, i guess the, the the contemporary one would be that people are on pirates bay mm. you know downloading african culture for free mm. um basically if you continue to look at african norms customs they don't happen overnight these things that we value and treasure across africa we didn't develop them last night we have been developing them for centuries our music from the drum up until what it is now has been developed by multiple curators multiple talented people so if you were to have someone come and just rip off everything that we have built for centuries without giving us any share without consent without doing it so respectfully that's something that must be challenged and we must understandably do it as collectives because as individuals we don't have the power to challenge platform controllers latuma do you think the conversation or the chat around appropriation come when someone has financially benefited or there's money that's that has been made and 
the people of the culture have been left out so what i'm asking you if money is not made do you think in terms of social justice in terms of the commentary that's happening on social media people will be up in arms about cultural appropriation or do you think money is the reason why we are all speaking out or people choose to speak out about it um i think for us you know a value that is beyond money that is important for us is the correct preservation of our culture uh if you go to libraries or any archives around south africa it is quite rare to find information that is accurate about our history and um as our fellow speaker mentioned that the culture you didn't come through overnight it has been been practiced for hundreds and thousands of years it didn't, it didn't just become what it is today. So essentially for us, you know, accurate archiving of our culture is important. And us being in control of our narrative is important. Uh, money is just a factor, you know, that makes things possible. Um, that is, the, money is the rationale behind driving things towards the future. But the ultimate value that I think that we need as the people is creating things that will live beyond us, you know, because money comes and goes, you understand? Mm. Um, infrastructure can be beneficial for the next generation, you know, because in the day, you know, some, sometimes legacy is just not enough, you know for our generation to prosper we need to create infrastructure with a sustainable that is not obsolete so for me uh, i hope i'm answering your question correctly that mm-hmm. and last but yeah and and last yeah because i think i think you know building um an environment with the right infrastructure and paying homage instead of looking at the monetary value and realizing its true value before money comes is the big aha moment when did your aha moment happen for you latuma when you're like you know what my my culture is beautiful and i'm going to make the world see how i'm appreciating my culture and whether you co-sign me or not this is who my people are and what they represent. In other words, what I'm trying to understand is what led to you believing so much in your culture and shipping it to the world unapologetically so. Because in that question, we could get inspiration. Uh, that's from a listener's point of view and my point of view. Um, yeah, very, very good question. Um, so for me, you know, I saw value and the the, the 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 like in magnitude of the culture like way before i even thought of doing a brand called macos so i discovered that in my teenage years and the person to acknowledge for that is my late mother who who used to take out the anthropology books from the library and tell us the stories of our people um as bedtime stories and of course as i mentioned those references are not accurate you know because 
we are referred to as the K-word on those uh, anthropology books, uh, which I still think that it needs to be ratified. Um, but anyway, for me, um, the reason, one of the reasons why I call the brand Makosa, which is often a misconception for people that are approaching it from a, a naive perspective, uh, the reason why I call the brand Marcos is because I wanted to acknowledge the hard work, you know, the culture has been doing by developing motifs, colors, beadwork that is so magnificent that uh, a lot of museums around the world were eager to collect and take away those artifacts from them uh, in order and, and actually convince them that those things represented evil. Um, now they have them and they are yet to bring them back, you know, because in the day there's nothing much they can do with them, you know. It is us, actually, they are doing something that is very good out of them and are taking it to the future. And last but not least, um, I think that it is our responsibility not to think that we have to take our culture and export it. A lot of people think that I'm interested or hungry for the overseas market. That is the last thing of my, on my mind. My ultimate action of success was when I was able to convince my neighbor or people in my community that our culture is enough and is beautiful and relevant for the future. Those were customers that I wanted to win. Those were customers that I wanted to liberate. And uh, anyone else, you know, that got attracted by the product is a bonus and a cherry on top. Mm. Latuma, thank you so much for your time, Broski. I really appreciate you. And um, I, I really appreciate your insights and your input in this conversation because it's just by the start. But like I said, it's a conversation that we just got to keep on having until we see it different so yeah you have yourself a great evening and thank you for being part of the panel yeah thank you so much for uh, that was uh latuma i beg your pardon hey it charged me there a little bit and uh, jamie mighty will be um uh, in for the second part of this uh, conversation because we're going to bring in another um uh, panelist uh, a professor at, at that and uh, we are going to ask the professor the policies of culture the fluidity of culture and the importance of cultural identity keep it locked on Love at Night is the name of the program. 5FM is the frequency you're listening to. Thank you so much for choosing us as your companion this evening. In fact, you heard some South African music, a.k.a. J-something with sunshine over there. And uh, it's time for us to um, uh, get into part two of our trending chats, cultural appropriation versus appreciation. Now, now with culture... It's a big part of our lives as social beings and it's used to communicate to others who we are and where we come from. So it makes 
perfect sense that many people or many of us will be emotional when it comes uh, to being touched on our cultural studio and uh, with that said cultural appropriation is often a trigger and has seen the rise of many debates and uh, we are revisiting the conversation again Jamie Mighty joins us on the line a commentator and independent analyst and earlier on we had uh, Latuma Ngokolo um, uh, fashion designer and founder of uh, Makosa and uh, we are done with Latuma now now we are moving all the way to um, Cape Town. We've got Professor Adam Haupter from UCT joining us. Professor, welcome. Thank you so much for your time. Jamie, thank you for staying on the line. Professor, let me start with you since uh, you just got in. The importance of cultural identity and being the custodians of it, where does it all come from and what are your thoughts on that? Thanks for inviting me. Uh, great to be on 5FM, um, one of my favorite stations. Grew up on it. Um, cultural appropriation, cultural identity. The bottom line is, you know, it's easy to talk about um, cultural appropriation in terms of, you know, the idea of taking something that is not yours. I think we need to think about cultural appropriation differently. Cultural appropriation happens when one part of a society which is more powerful than another borrows from more marginalized, sort of uh, weaker sectors of society. So in the context of, of colonialism, it was unequal relations of power between colonizer and colonized that enabled cultural appropriation. When are you guilty of cultural appropriation? When um, you leverage off of your powerful position um, to borrow from, from from communities that are marginalized, economically, politically, symbolically marginalized. You do not ask for their permission when you borrow things from them. So, for example, if you go to a music festival and you decide that you want to wear Apache headgear, first of all, are you Indigenous American? Were you colonized uh, by a particular set of players uh, from the global north? Um, do you have any relationship with those indigenous Americans? Do you understand the cultural practices and religious practices, the customs that, that, that lie behind you wearing that headgear or wearing the Sufi blanket? Is that your lived experience or is it not your lived experience? Have you sought the permission of the communities as you borrow from them, right? And mm -hmm. if you haven't and you've gotten away from it, chances are you got away from it because you're in a position of power to do so. You haven't bothered to ask those communities uh, about the cultural and religious practices. You haven't sought their permission, and you can do so unchallenged. So you have you you have entire genres of forms both off of cultural appropriation, white actors playing black characters, white actors playing Indians. The word Indian itself is, is racist, right? So you, you, you tan your skin, you wear the headgear, and you play an Indian, a racist stereotype of an indigenous American who is not there to object and doesn't have the power politically or economically to challenge the way in which you are representing them. In other words, you are representing them and you're denying them the opportunity to represent themselves and the cultural and religious practices on their own terms. So it's enabled by unequal relations of power and ironically also becomes an expression of unequal relations of power. So in the South African context, you can go to a steak lounge right, and eat the steak and go with branding, 
you know, that mm. is borrowed from somewhere, some indigenous Americans. That's, that's one, that's another example. So it really comes down to unequal relations of power between different sectors of society. And so it's less about taking ownership of things. Um, you don't even have to be making money off of it. Something like going to a party in, 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 in dressed up as, as, as some racist stereotype, that is cultural appropriation. You might not be making money from it like the spur might, but it's the same, it's in the same ballpark. Now, I want to speak about redressing because obviously when we have this, these chats, it's about like how do we remedy, how do we set right where we don't need to check each other. So, Prof, how, is there a, is that a real thing or is it a pipe dream to want to redress cultural appropriation that happens in our society? And Jamie, I'm going to ask you this second part of the question. Mm-hmm. How do we now redress or discipline the line? You know, like who's going to be the judge of you are not supposed to do that and this is the punishment for you so professor so is there a is there redressing cultural appropriation is that a pipe dream or is it real look it's it's possible you can make things right first thing you can do is you can address unequal relations of power in south africa for example if you talk about cultural appropriation in the african context right um it's not just about whether a white model can wear the fuzzy blanket on the ramp you know, on the, on, on, on the catwalk, you know, in, in Milan or in Paris. It's not just about whether white people can do black things. It's more than that. It's about the equal relations of power between black South Africans and, and white South Africans. If you correct the imbalances in power, then the thing behind cultural appropriation gets taken out. But at the same time, there is this thing called consent. If you have Let's just say you're a fashion designer sitting with a bursary blanket example because that did happen. If you were a designer and you thought to yourself, I want to make something out of this, let me find a community that makes these blankets and let's work on a partnership. Why don't I leverage off of my white privilege and my network that is associated with my white privilege? Why don't I create a conduit for this community so that they can be enriched? Let me partner with them. But the first step is consent. Right? That is one way in which you can make it like seek the content of the communities whose work you like or whose music you like, right? And partner with them. Um, speaking of music, I'm reminded of Paul Simon's Graceland album. The album cover mm-hmm. says Paul Simon, Graceland. It does not say Paul Simon and Lady Smith's Black Mambazo, Graceland. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. engine behind that entire album is the music, the compositions of Lady Smith's Black Mambazo. What and I'm, look, I'm I'm grateful. I'm happy that Paul Simon created a platform for that particular band. But you could also have created an equal platform for them to sort of say, "This is me partnering with these musicians who produce brilliant music and uh, are integral to Iskatimia. Let me create this platform for them. So it's not just my band that carries it; it is me as well as Lady Smith's Black Mamaza. Right? That would be the perfect partnership. You use your privilege in order to create a platform with willing partners. But the, the bottom line is willing partners. You better have the consent of the communities whose work you are presenting. Do not present it as your own. Create a platform, create a partnership that allows those communities to access the markets that you have access to, to access the audiences that you have access to. Right? If you have that kind of privilege, 
Yeah. So yes, you can mm-hmm. definitely make it right. Yeah. You can definitely. Jamie. Make it. How do we now, how do we, sorry, Prof, how do we now be the judge or what, 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 how do we roll out calling out? Because, I mean, you mentioned Lion King and where it came up, came from. And now um, um, the professor is mentioning Lady Smith. So there are all these things. So, but like, is there, is there a punishment? Is there a, you know, penalty? Is there because clearly you've used your power and your privilege, you know? Uh, so you you tell me I don't know if if you've thought about it that far. I'm not thinking well, there's two things. I think definitely the Jamie, you can Sorry, go ahead. I think mm-hmm. okay. So there's two things. Number one, I think the prof is absolutely right that we must find ways of getting consent and meaningful consent, and that can be so. But unfortunately, you're not always able to be in every market everywhere. But I do think that the the economic blocks, African Union. European Union should start actually uh, creating pro- competition provisions that actually block non-consensual appropriation and actually try to check whether or not the originating communities who own the intellectual property have been considered. I think in big markets like South Africa, you can also do that. There's nothing stopping the development of competition law that actually tries to address and mitigate some of the harms which speak to um, you know, cultural appropriation and cultural exploitation. But I do think right now the tool that everyone has is to use um, the public fora, to use uh, public complaint. But I do think that legal provisions need to be attached um, to the issue that we're raising to make sure that people understand that that kind of cultural intellectual property is a form of property and is a form of property that ought to be protected and isn't just in the public domain for exploitation or disrespect or profit maximization. Oh man, you've hit it on the nail. Prof, is there something that you'd like to add on to, on to what Jamie said? Yeah, no, that's a very nice way of summarizing it. Um, look, I think what, you know, what creates these unequal relations of power, um, you know, in the marketplace out there? What creates it? It's our economic system. We have a neoliberal economic system that tells us that state intervention at the level of the market is, is just not acceptable. And that is not true. We know that there are many uh, countries that have a mixed uh, economy that, you know, that are clear about the fact that the state needs to level at some point at the level of the market to ensure that imbalances are not reproduced, that are not recreated. So you can have state mechanisms that, A, prevent such a degree of monopolization of markets, particularly media markets, that certain companies are just totally untouchable. Marketing companies are untouchable. Uh, manufacturers are untouchable. That's one thing you can do. You can also ensure, you know, that legislation, sufficient legislation is in place that prevent anti-competitive practices so that a dive, more diversity of entrepreneurs and media producers and so on and so on can actually access markets, can be heard, and make diverse perspectives uh, heard, right? And therefore access markets. So we need sufficient state intervention at the level of the market to ensure that there is actual competition in the market. So that, you know, the wealth that is generated actually circulates fairly. And so you do you need a mixed economy to do that. You need certain social democratic principles mixed with, with market principles. You can't allow free market fundamentalism to, 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 
design unchecked. This is how you get to a situation that Louis Vuitton can just do what it wants, right? Or any other major corporation, oh, we like that, we'll, we'll take that. We'll, we'll do what we want with it. And there's no reciprocity, there's no way of ensuring that those corporations are held accountable. States can become stronger in holding corporations accountable for the behavior. That's one way of fixing those asymmetrical relations of power in the marketplace that make cultural appropriation possible. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to be the grim reaper to you listening right now, but based on the comments and the views expressed by my panel, I'm uh, saying, hey, we've got a long way to go. And it seems like money is the only thing that makes culture fluid, or at least whether you are from that culture or you're appropriating from that culture, or you choose to appreciate that culture. Because um, I know I know governments are not trying to work on that level. You know what I mean? Um, uh, but uh, thank you so much um, um, for your time. My guest, unfortunately, I've run out of time, uh, Prof, uh, as well as Jamie. I really okay. appreciate these, these uh, insights and much. these conversations. And it's available for you to check it out uh, on 5fm.co.za by simply clicking on the catch-up tab. I was joined uh, on the line by Jamie Mighty, commentator and independent analyst, and uh, Professor Adam Hopped, all the way from UCT, to have our trending chats uh, around cultural appropriation versus appreciation. And looking at the time, it seems like this conversation is a conversation that needs to go on and on because we've got so many questions and uh, if we do not interrogate uh, how things are done, we will not, uh, um, I guess, create uh, the, the, the society that is progressive and that is striving to do better.